Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Unexplained, Season 4, Episode 13, Lost in Stormy Visions. Part 3 The rigging tapped lazily against the ship's masts as the vessel rocked gently back and forth, while strewn all across the top deck, the bodies of its crew lay stretched out and unmoving under the grey, formless clouds above. Down below, an exhausted John White the contours of his bones clearly visible through his clothes, stirred in his bunk. His desiccated tongue probing feebly at his cracked and bleeding lips as he drifted in and out of consciousness. Only six weeks before, Governor White had clambered aboard Edward Spicer's flyboat, hoping for a swift journey to England before heading back to Roanoke Island. But the omens had not been good. Within minutes of boarding the vessel, 12 of the 15-strong crew were badly injured due to a malfunctioning anchor mechanism that snapped back on them as they tried to bring it up. Eventually, they were forced to cut the anchor loose entirely. With only half the crew able to function properly, the ship had just made it past the Azores when the wind completely ceased to blow. For days they drifted, until finally, storm clouds began to amass on the horizon. Unfortunately, the ensuing gale only succeeded in beating them back to where they had just come from. It would be almost a week before they were able to continue on their way, only for the wind to once again desert them. With the ship becalmed, two men dropped dead, as the rest subsisted on dregs of beer and wine lees until finally they too were exhausted. After weeks adrift on the ocean, with the men barely strong enough to lift their heads, a grey smudge was spied on the horizon. With no one daring to believe that it could be land, it wasn't until days later 
when the smudge had shifted into something of genuine form, that they realised they were saved. Having no idea where they were, it was with some relief when the sailors caught wind of Irish accents coming from the shore. After drifting for the best part of a month, the men finally made landfall on October 16th. Within four days of arriving, another three crew members would die and three others be taken perilously ill. Three weeks later, Governor John White returned to London. At Sir Walter Raleigh's home, Raleigh listened with barely concealed contempt as White did his best to explain the colony's predicament. For a man so used to getting his own way, it was simply impossible to fathom how on earth White had allowed Simon Fernandez to abandon the colonists on Roanoke Island. To make matters worse, a supply ship with everything the settlers would be needing to survive the winter was already en route to Chesapeake Bay. The ship duly arrived at the bay, only to find nobody there, and promptly returned to England. And worse was to come. While White had been away, tensions between the English and Spanish crowns had been steadily increasing. Now on the brink of war, Queen Elizabeth had issued a ban on any ships travelling without her permission, lest they be needed to mount an attack on her enemy. White was devastated. It had been three months since he'd left America, and even if Raleigh could get permission to send a second supply ship, it would be at least another two months before it could get to Roanoke. Being equally dismayed at the situation, Raleigh nonetheless agreed to seek permission from the Queen to send a second supply ship to the stranded settlers. A week before it was due to set sail, however, the weather deteriorated so severely that it wasn't until spring the following year that its crew were confident enough they could make the trip. Then, just as White was finally about to set sail, the Queen received word that an armada of well over a hundred ships had set sail from Spain, planning to mount an invasion of England. White's vessels were duly confiscated, and the fleet's captain, Richard Grenville, ordered to report to Francis Drake, who was overseeing the naval defence of the country. Pleading with Raleigh once again, White eventually succeeded in securing two pinnaces to make the journey instead. Small vessels that were ordinarily used to take passengers of a larger vessel to the shore. Though undoubtedly a risk, White had little option but to make do with what he had. After procuring a crew, finally he was on his way back to America. Barely a week into the journey, to White's dismay, two galleons were spotted on the horizon. As they drew closer, the crew discovered with alarm that the ships were from Spain. In the end, it could have been worse. After only taking their supplies, the admirals of the Spanish vessels allowed John White and his crew to return to England. On July 19th, the King of Spain's fleet was spotted off the southwest coast of England. In response, a series of beacons were lit in quick succession, delivering a message by fire all the way to London that the country was under attack. The war had begun, and with it, any hope that Governor White had 
of returning to Roanoke Island had vanished. By August, the King of Spain's Armada was defeated. However, Walter Raleigh, who had spent the best part of the summer overseeing the English Crown's colonisation of Ireland, would not return to England until March 1589. It was sometime in March the following year that White, who incredibly had refused to give up hope, got wind of a local merchant's plan to send three trade ships to the West Indies. The only problem being that with the country still at war, the Queen was refusing to give them permission to sail. Realising also that this could be their last chance, Raleigh convinced the Queen to let them travel, on the proviso that they take John White to Roanoke Island. And so it was that on March 20th, 1590, two years and seven months since he had last seen his daughter Eleanor and granddaughter Virginia, White stepped aboard the Hopewell for one final attempt to get back to them. The catch being that each captain in the fleet had every intention of making the most of their journey before heading to America. White would have little choice but to dig in and pray that he would make it out alive. Over the next few months, the fleet attacked and raided two Spanish flyboats before later being shot at by Spanish defences when drawing too close to the island of St John. Alighting at another island soon after, the crew of White's boat burned a Spanish settlement to the ground. Two men were abducted from the island of Dominica to be kept as slaves on the Hopewell, but later managed to escape shortly before the ship was attacked by a Spanish galleon resulting in a four-hour gun battle against 400 sailors. And that was only the half of it. After numerous other skirmishes and raids on vessels from France and Spain, including chasing three ships heavily laden with treasure around almost the entirety of Cuba, the Admiral of the Fleet, Captain Cook, finally called it a day. In August, having now been joined by John White's old friend, Edward Spicer, captaining the moonlight, the fleet was ready to make its way to Roanoke. And soon they were approaching the southern edge of the outer bank, passing first the shores of Croatoan Island to the west, and then eventually, as a bright full moon, the colour of bone, rose steadily into the sky. On August 15th, the fleet arrived off the coast of Hatterask Island, nestled just a mile beyond it was Roanoke. That evening, White watched with a combination of joy and utter disbelief as the telltale sign of campfire smoke rose up from within the island. He couldn't believe it. Could it be, he thought, that the colonists had survived all this time? Having arrived later than hoped, White would have to wait till first light before any attempt was made to find out. That night, as he lay awake in his bunk, trying to imagine how his granddaughter might look, whether even he might have a second grandchild by now, those that had been chosen to escort him to the island were restless too. There was just no way they could still be there, they thought. And if it wasn't the colonists who made the fire, just what else exactly might they find out there? The following morning, 
two boats loaded with men, headed out toward the Pamlico Sound. White travelled in Captain Cook's vessel, while Captain Spicer took lead of the other. First, they would need to carefully navigate their way through the outer bank, a slow and treacherous journey owing to the unpredictable nature of the various sandbars and channels hidden below the waves. It was precisely for that reason that Raleigh had suggested settling on Roanoke in the first place, since not only was it hidden from the Atlantic side, but no warship could possibly get near it. For White, it was utter torture, watching as the pilots cautiously negotiated their way, checking and rechecking the depths around them every few minutes, until finally they were through. At that moment, two loud cannon blasts could be heard from behind, a prearranged signal from the Hopewell to announce their arrival to the colonists. White and the rest fixed their eyes on the island for any sign of movement near the shore, but nobody came. The smoke from the night before had also gone. Then a cry went up as one sailor spotted another trail of smoke this time rising from Kindrika's Mount, a large sand dune located roughly halfway down the outer bank between Roanoke and Croatoan. It made sense, thought White, since it had been discussed that the colony would move that way should things become complicated. Having yet to see more signs of life on Roanoke, White suggested to Cook that they turn the boat and head to Kindrika's Mount to see what they could find. A few hours later, having moored up just off the beach, the men jumped into the water and headed cautiously toward where the smoke was coming from. Picking their way through a thick mesh of trees and scrub, on constant alert, they arrived at the fire, or rather, what was left of it. Somebody had been there, but they had long since moved on. With the two crews tired and exhausted, it was decided to head back to their respective ships for the evening before trying again for Roanoke Island. It was sometime around 10 when they reached the opening in the outer bank to take them back through to the Atlantic. Cook's vessel went first but quickly got into difficulty when a furious gale swept across the water. Taking the wheel, Cook wrestled tirelessly with the boat as a series of ever-growing waves pummeled it from both sides. With the rest of the crew furiously bailing out water, Cook managed finally to get through. It was only when they were back on board the Hopewell that they noticed Spicer's boat being tossed violently about on the turbulent waters. Cook's men could only watch horrified and helpless as Spicer's boat was pitched onto its side in one swift movement. Then, with a second wave colliding into its side, It was completely tipped over. Cook's crew watched on as some leapt from the vessel into the sea while others clung on for dear life until they too were finally overwhelmed and disappeared into the grey. Some tried to swim to the nearest shore only to be beaten mercilessly back into the open water. Having seen enough, Captain Cook and four others jumped back into their boat and raced out to save their comrades. Seven men in total, including Captain Spicer, were drowned. Back on board the ships that night, the mood was understandably sombre, and some began to question the purpose of their trip. 
that it had been doomed from the start. The next morning, White was woken by a commotion on deck. See for yourself, said Captain Cook, pointing toward Roanoke. Smoke, this time coming from the northern edge of the island, close to where the colonists' Fort Raleigh had been established. That evening, Captain Cook brought his boat to the shores of Roanoke. Stumbling from the vessel, Governor White sprinted up the beach, urging the rest of the men to follow. But the men stayed still, concerned that something wasn't quite right. Cook agreed, pointing into the trees. White looked again at the warm orange glow emanating from somewhere in the forest beyond. That was no campfire. Not wanting to lose any more of his crew, Cook suggested they make camp for the night and continue their journey in the morning. Just then, one of the crew stepped forward and, putting a trumpet to his lips, blew a series of signals into the trees, each being answered by nothing save for the sound of the waves sloshing against the sand. The men found the fire still burning the following day, its limp flames licking at blackened tree trunks, while all about the ground, the grass too was on fire. It was as if their journey had merely been taking them through one door after another of hell, and only now were they getting to the heart of it. Returning to the beach, the men trekked to the island's northern edge, until they spotted fresh footprints in the sand, heading into the trees. Through there, said White, pointing to a pathway that would lead them straight to the fort. But just as he was about to step forward, he felt a sudden, profound weight fall upon him. For three years he had pined for this moment, hoping every day to be reunited with his daughter, but only now that he was here did he consider the worst. It was abundantly clear that either his people had left, or they were dead. Perhaps he didn't want to see what might be waiting for him at the settlement. Looking up, he was suddenly distracted by something on one of the trees. Do you see that? he asked Cook. Stepping forward, he held out his hands and brushed them against the trunk, along the edges of what were clearly three letters carved into its bark. C, R and O. Croatoan, he whispered under his breath, before rushing headlong into the forest. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc Therapy is available through most insurance or employers. 
Download the app or visit teledoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. When White finally arrived at the fort, it was some relief to find it completely deserted, with no sign of the settlers, nor their remains. The place had changed significantly since White had last been there, with all the houses having been destroyed or removed entirely. And all about it, a heavily fortified palisade section, made from large tree trunks, had been installed, as if the settlers had been preparing for a raid. Then he saw it. The word Croatoan, in full this time, clearly carved five feet up from the floor into the bark of a large wooden post. White looked frantically for any sign of a cross carved above it, a sign that the colonists had been forcefully run out, but he found none. White sunk to his knees with relief. As he explained to Captain Cook soon after, this was the prearranged signal between him and the colonists, a message to tell him where they'd gone, should they ever have to leave. As the men investigated the rest of the ruined fort, they found a number of heavy materials stacked up in a pile that had presumably been thought unnecessary to take with them. A series of large wooden chests were found too, dug out of the ground, with their contents, long since destroyed by the weather, scattered all over the floor. White bent down to peel a piece of paper from the ground. On it was the illustration of a Sakotan that he had painted years before. It was all his stuff. The colonists had buried it in case he should ever return. Just then, thick dark clouds began to swirl above as large drops of water cascaded down upon them. It was time to head back to the ship. By the following morning, a full-on storm was raging. Cook ordered the crew to set sail for Croatoan Island, but no sooner had they weighed anchor than the cable snapped sending the ship on a perilous collision course with the shore. Then, by sheer luck, the ship was suddenly pushed into a deep channel and manoeuvred away from the outer bank, back into the Atlantic, leaving Cook deeply shaken. Running dangerously low on food and fresh water, and with only one anchor left to moor the vessel, Cook realised any attempt to reach Croatoan would be a suicide mission. Despite White's desperate pleas, Cook's mind was made up. They would sail to the Caribbean to refuel, then come back for the colonists. Those on the moonlight, devastated by the loss of seven of their crew, decided instead to head straight back to England. Weeks later, the storm winds had forced the Hopewell not to the Caribbean as planned, but all the way to the Azores. And when the winds failed to change, Cook, putting the safety of his vessel and crew first, made the drastic decision. They would not be going back to America. On October 24, 1590, John White was returned to England. He would never again travel to the New World, and the fate of his colony was destined to remain a mystery.
Little is known of just what became of John White, the former governor of the second English colony of Roanoke Island. Having given up on ever finding his daughter and granddaughter, or any of the other 116 missing colonists, including a second baby that was born out there as well, he is thought to have retired to Ireland, where he eventually died. In 1594, all colonists were officially declared dead by English law, based on the fact that the last known contact with them had been more than seven years previously. Though he was never registered as such, Manteo was also assumed to have died. The ruling was of particular shock to Raleigh, as this also marked the end of his contract with Queen Elizabeth, entitling him to any riches found in the New World. Without the colony, the contract was void. As for Simon Fernandez, who so brazenly abandoned the colonists on Roanoke Island, it has never been ascertained precisely what motivated him to do so. Some have speculated, however, that he may have been deliberately trying to sabotage the mission, as John White had suspected all along. In her book, Roanoke, Solving the Mystery of the Lost Colony, writer Lee Miller speculated that Queen Elizabeth's head spy, Sir Francis Walsingham, had enlisted Fernandez to undermine Raleigh's attempt to establish the colony in America. Walsingham had become embittered over Raleigh's rapid rise in the court of Queen Elizabeth. Simon Fernandez is thought to have died at sea sometime in 1590. Raleigh tried a number of times to locate the lost colony in order to validate his contract with Elizabeth, sending ships in 1599 and again in 1602, but neither made it as far as Roanoke or Croatoan before being forced to return to England. The 1602 expedition did return with some intriguing news, however. Rumours amongst the local communities of America that some of the lost colony were in fact alive and well and living with one of the East Coast communities. But by then, Raleigh was facing an uncertain future. In 1603, Queen Elizabeth died, and with the subsequent ascension of James I to the throne, Raleigh was stripped of all his rights and claims to the New World. Far worse, in July of that year, he was arrested and accused of plotting against the king. Though at first spared death due to his services to the crown, he would spend the next 13 years locked in the Tower of London. After being pardoned, Raleigh travelled to Venezuela in search of El Dorado, the mythical city of gold, having been given permission by the king to do so, on the one condition that he avoided any hostility with ships from Spain. When it was discovered that some of his men, against Raleigh's orders, had violated this condition, he was arrested on his return to England, and this time sentenced to death. He was beheaded in October 1618. In the years since the disappearance of the colony at Roanoke, rumours continued to abound about just what had become of them. When the first formal English colony in America was settled at Jamestown in 1607, some of the settlers learned from people local to the area that the Roanoke colony had in fact been slaughtered by Chief Wingener's people in revenge for his murder. 
It is often said that what is commonly known today as the United States has its origins in the hugely controversial settlement of Jamestown. Although most of the English at the time talked with relish about the savages they had to endure and fight off while trying to establish the town, in truth, its success owed much to the generosity of the local Powhatan people, who, when the colony was on the verge of dying out, gifted the settlers their food to help them survive. In return, thanks to the blank canvas that America represented to Europeans, who saw in it the opportunity to create new worlds, foster new ideas, and get monetarily rich, the world and ways of those already native to it was broadly dismissed until it had been all but extinguished. The plan of those who settled at Jamestown was to establish another England in the distant land. In the end, however, the colony of Jamestown and the people who eventually settled there would become only one of a vast array of different people and ideas that together would evolve into the nation that America is today. A place that was not born from one idea or one way of life, but from multitudes. As for the fate of those early settlers at Roanoke, it is said that in 1701, while conducting a survey of the Mideast coast, engineer John Lawson found himself anchored off the shore of Croatoan Island. Having made his way to land, he was soon after greeted by what he assumed to be a local community of Native Americans. Only they weren't like any he had ever come across before. Their skin was a little paler, their hair less dark, and their eyes unusually grey in colour. These people claimed, apparently, that some of their ancestors, more pale-skinned than them, had arrived a hundred years before from a country very far away. If you enjoy listening to Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are massively appreciated. All elements of Unexplained are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplained. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. TMI. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.